For those who are visiting with us today, I'm Jeannie Whitehurst. I'm a semi-retired pastor and uh, doing about 10 hours a week here at the church, doing whatever Laura tells me to do, and uh, thoroughly enjoying it. I was getting bored. It's nice to be able to serve God in this place. This is a fabulous congregation. Well, I want to continue our study on Exodus and uh, invite you to use the study guide that's in your bulletin for your daily devotions for this week and to uh, go back home and read chapters 19 through 25 to understand this covenant that God is making with the chosen people. I'm going to start us off by reminding us that The people that are with Moses have been traveling from Egypt out of slavery, and it's been three months that they've been on the trail. They end up in the Sinai Desert. Uh, We're not sure exactly where. Tradition says it's at a mountain in south of the peninsula in Sinai. The location is really not that important. What is important is that God was there. And the people had been traveling for these three months, and they needed to make their camp, their regular camp. They just made camp at the base of this hill. And then God called Moses to come up to the top of the mountain. And I thought this story was all about the Ten Commandments, that that was the only reason that Moses went up to the top of the mountain, to receive those Ten Commandments. That was the movie. I learned that early. But... I had forgotten that there was, that was only one little small part of the whole story. And this part comes before the giving of the Ten Commandments, and it's even more important. Let's find out why. The Lord called Moses from the mountain, and he said to him, This is what... You should say to Jacob's household and declare to the Israelites, You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Eagles' wings. Powerful metaphor. Brought them out of slavery with strength. So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples since the whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. And these are the words you should say to the Israelites. So Moses came down, called together the people and all the elders, and set before them all these words that the Lord had told him. The people all responded with one voice. Everything that the Lord says, we will do. And then Moses went back to the mountain and told the Lord what the people had said. There's some significance here. This is just one of the many trips that Moses will be making back and forth up and down the mountain. Uh, It really is about who is in control, who's powerful. It's uh, an intended uh, statement literally to inform the reader that God is the most powerful person here. 
that God is the initiator of what's going on. God is the one that called Moses. Moses is responding and does what God asks him to do. Moses' faith is lifted up for all humanity from this point on as being a faith that can be modeled by those that want to follow God. This covenant that is stated here is called the Sinai Covenant. It's different from other covenants. It's a covenant that says, you will be my people, my chosen people. What's significant about that? Well, I don't know if you remember, but the people that were made, uh, making camp below, they were just a motley crew of people from a different nationalities, different languages. They had nothing in common other than they had been in slavery together. They had been called together and released by God, and Moses was the one leading them out. And we know from Laura's sermons, they've been complaining the whole way. Well, it's significant here that this is the first covenant and the very first time that God says, you are my chosen people. You're my precious possession. And you will be a priestly nation. That motley crew now becomes a nation which we now understand as the Israelites, the Jews. They didn't exist before that. This was the beginning of the Jewish uh, humanity, the nation. And they have a purpose. The purpose is to be a priestly nation. What do priests do? They share the word of God, the saving grace of God. They live in obedience to God so that all can know what God is requiring of them. So the chosen people are to be priests. Now, I want us to remember we are the chosen people thousands of years later. If we have said yes to God as our Lord and Savior, we are God's precious possession. Because we hear that the Israelites said yes to God. We will do everything that God has commanded. We will worship him. We will obey him. In our very baptism, either our parents took this oath and we restated it at our confirmation or as an adult when we professed our faith, we say yes to God. We will be your chosen people. You are our God. So we are the Israelites. So what does this have to say to us today? That's, that was done in 2001 B.C., Or 2100 B.C. But there had been other covenants. We know about Noah. God wanted to save Noah for his faithfulness. And he told Noah to go build an ark. And get 
to animals of every kind and put them on the ark. He didn't want to destroy the whole world. And at the end of that, he said, the sign is the rainbow that I will never flood and destroy the earth again. Well, then we also know that uh, God made a covenant with Abram. And when he made that covenant, it changed Abram's name to Abraham. And Abraham was to be the father of all nations. Descendants more numerous than the stars. And Abraham had a responsibility. Like Noah had a responsibility to build an ark. Abram's was to perform the circumcisions as a sign of the faithfulness to God. And then later on we hear about David and the covenant that God made with David so that David would have a dynasty that would bring security to all of the Israelites that would allow them to worship God and to have a safe, secure social life. Well, we then hear Jeremiah talking about a new covenant that is yet to be, and it this prophet Jeremiah is saying, saying that this covenant will be different from the Sinai covenant that we're talking about today. It will be written on the hearts of the faithful so that obedience to God is not following the law, but is a part of who the person is, the very nature of the human soul, so that we will automatically be obedient to God. We won't be doing it to fulfill the law. We want to do it. Well, then we hear in Mark that Jesus is the new covenant. This new testament, testament is another word for covenant. A covenant instructs. A covenant is a contract. It's an agreement between people that have something to go on uh, to uh, work out together. Usually we talk about contracts in our society, usually between two equal people. But we're talking about a covenant in which God has a purpose for humanity. God is the initiator. There's benefit for both God and humanity in this relationship that is promised. But the benefit is mostly for humanity. We are going to be saved if we say yes to God's presence in our lives and follow and obey. But we, we really don't know how to obey. We need some instructions. Well, then we find instructions in a couple of places in our Bible. But in particular, here in Exodus, down further in that same chapter 19... Moses is called back up to the top of the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm about to come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people will hear me talking with you so that they will always trust you. Okay. I don't know of any other place in the Bible where God comes directly so that the people can know God's in their midst. They've always had to listen to the prophet tell them what God told them. Or they've had to listen to Moses say, this is what God says. But here God is going to come to the people 
And they're going to know that God is speaking to Moses for the purpose that they will trust Moses and what he says, giving authority to Moses. And then Moses goes to the people and he said, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and take today and tomorrow and make them holy. Okay, this must be preparation for the coming of God. Let's see how specific we have to be. Oh my. They have to go take a shower. And they have to wash their clothes. Well, we did, we did that today, didn't we? I haven't smelt anybody yet. Hmm. They have to be ready for the third day. Because on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai for all the people to see. Set up a fence for the people all around and tell them, be careful not to go up the mountain or touch any part of it. Anyone who even touches the mountain must be put to death. No one should touch anyone who has touched it or they must be stoned to death or shot with arrows. Whether an animal or a human being, they must not be allowed to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds, may they go up to the mountain. Okay. Specific requirements to be in the presence of God. We have to shower. Put on our clothes. Get prepared. Get the family together. We're going to church. But there's more to it. He's telling the priest that they need to be prepared as well. And if they violate the preparations, they will be put to death. This is serious stuff to meet God. Very serious stuff. See what happens when they meet God. When morning came on the third day, there was thunder and lightning. Well, kind of like last night. And then, oh, this wasn't last night. There was a thick cloud over the mountain. Well, we don't want the Spicewood fires again, so I'm glad there wasn't that. But then a very loud blast of a horn sounded. All the people in the camp shook with fear. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their places at the foot of the mountain. Obedient, aren't they? Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord had come down on it with lightning. The smoke went up like the smoke of a hot furnace while the whole mountains shook violently. The blast of the horn grew louder and louder. Moses would speak and God would answer him with thunder. The Lord came down on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to come up again to the top of the mountain. Moses went back up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to try to see the Lord, or many of them will fall dead. Even the priests who come near to the Lord must keep themselves holy, or the Lord will break loose against them. Well, it's kind of frightening to be in presence of God, obviously. Yeah, if Jesus came into our midst today... I think most of us would say, oh, I sinned yesterday. I'm not sure he's going to forgive me of that. I think we might be a little bit frightened. 
But what we're trying to say here in the scripture is that God's mighty power was so visible that it shook the ground. It transformed their very physical being that day. There was thunder and lightning and loud claps of thunder and horns blazing. It is saying to us that when we're in the presence of God, we must expect the earth to shake. For our lives to be shook up. For our very understanding of what was is going to be transformed into what can be. If we listen and obey God. Well... This powerful message allows us to hear that God is with us. And in fact, as we keep on going into chapter 20, verse 20, Moses says that God told him, Don't be afraid, because God has come only to test you. And to make sure you are always in awe of God so that you do not sin. Hmm. The whole purpose of God's coming was to have us worship him. To trust in the witness of others that God does exist. Now I want you to remember, there have been thousands of years going on. This happened in 2100 B.C. Yet the the Moses came after Noah and Abraham. And David came a thousand years after Moses. And then Jeremiah was quite a few hundred years after that. And then Jesus came about a thousand years later. What does that tell us about God? That God is always present, always reaching out to the people, and always is offering forgiveness of our sins. If only we would believe, trust, and obey. Well, Jeremiah says to us that there is a new covenant coming, and we learn that that new covenant is Jesus Christ. For in Mark chapter 14, we hear in verse 24, or really about 20, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's what we say every time we have communion, the first Sunday of the month. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood which is poured out for you. Blood. Oh, I forgot to mention. Blood's significant throughout the uh, Sinai covenant. In fact, God tells Moses to gather all the first, the best of the goats and the lambs and, and slaughter them and burn them to a crisp, taking the blood. And after he's written the covenant, 
on one of those mini trips up on the mountain. He takes the blood and scatters it over the people and drops it across the covenant. Signifying that the sacrifice of the animals, their very blood being spilled, is a symbolic act on a regular basis of God being forgiving of sins. Now, the Sinai covenant goes on with a little bit further into the end of the Exodus story and on into Deuteronomy with very explicit instructions about building the Ark of the Covenant into which this written document that now has splattered blood on it will be placed so that all the people will know that this covenant exists and that God has done this once and for all appearance in which salvation is extended. And it's at this point that sacrifices begin. They weren't done before. They hadn't been worshiping God like this before. So the Sinai covenant is not only establishing a nation, Israel, making them a priestly nation with a purpose to share the love of God and forgiveness of God. It is also establishing worship, a regular pattern of worship with sacrifice to forgive sin. So we have blood being spilled in the Exodus. And then we have in the New Testament the blood of Christ that is spilt so that we might have forgiveness of our sin. And Christ is died, has died once. We don't have to continue to do sacrifices anymore. Christ did it for us one time forever. For all who would say yes to God. Yes, I will call you my Lord and Savior. Yes, I will worship you. Yes, I will obey you. Christ died for all so that we might have forgiveness of our sins. How do we know that besides just in Mark? Well, let's turn to Luke. Let's see. Luke, he says again this scripture that we are used to in communion, this regular worship of acknowledging what God has done for us in the past so that we can know God does it now for us. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood which is poured out for you. And then we turn to Hebrews. Hebrews has a lot about the covenant. And in fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 8, toward the end, it says very clearly, Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Jacob and Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them out of Egypt. Because they did not continue to keep my covenant, I lost interest in them, said the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will place my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. Well, Jeremiah was right. It was to be written on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person won't ever teach a neighbor or their brother or sister saying, Know the Lord, because they will already know him. From the least important of them to the most important. Because I will be lenient toward their unjust actions. And I won't remember their sins anymore. Covenant is about God claiming us. And saying, I want you with me. I want you to worship me and follow me. And if you do, you're my precious possession. And you will be a priestly nation. When you are baptized, you say yes to God and to that command and that invitation. When you join this church, you are joining a group of people who have said yes to God. We will be your church. What that means is that when we say yes to God, our lives will literally be shaken. Just as Abram's name was changed to Abraham, just as David went from a soldier with a slingshot to a king, just as Abraham went from a fatherless man to a father of nations. Their lives were transformed and so will ours if we obey God. When we are in the presence of God, we can feel as if our lives have been turned over. It's not just simply a mountaintop experience. That's too easy. That's too Melba toast. This mountaintop experience on Sinai is life transforming. It shakes you up. It transforms you and your name is no longer what it was. It's now. You are my child. And I love you. And I have forgiven you. Now go and tell the world. 